0: Welcome to Improv Interviews with Margot Escott, a psychotherapist in Naples, Florida, who is using her 35 years of experience to develop improvisation programs, benefiting and improving the lives of those with emotional and physical challenges. Improv Interviews brings together the world's leading improvisational theater masters, founders, and innovators, who are using improvisation therapeutically in unique and surprising ways. With great guests that include legends like Ed Asner and Aretha Sills, you're sure to learn something new about improvisation. This is Improv Interviews with your host, Margot Escott. I'm with Dr. Kristen Kruger in Chicago today on Improv Interviews. And Dr. Kruger is an incredible woman who is my inspiration for getting into improvisational therapy, which is not a real term yet, but it will be soon, for sure. Anyway, uh, she was a guest several years ago, and since then, she's published an incredible, groundbreaking paper called Therapov, and she's working on another research project right now. So, let's get right into it, and why don't we talk about that project you did, that the research paper, rather, and uh, the implications of it. Um,
1: So, uh, so yeah, the study I did, gosh, now going back, um, about five years ago, but after having written several, uh, after attempts to get funded to do something, I just decided I would need to do a clinical intervention. And so I looked at what I could do with what I had at the time. And since I'm a researcher, I know how to, um, uh, plan a research study, study design. And so I did, uh, All of that went through the IRB and I created a clinical intervention of four sessions because I thought that would be doable for the patient population that I had. Um, and I wanted to see if, uh, by giving people four sessions of therapy and improv together, if we could change their levels of anxiety, depression, self-esteem, perfectionism, and their satisfaction with social roles. And, um, yeah, and so we found that you could. Um, we found uh, a significant effect for anxiety, depression, and a trend towards um, uh, improved, I'm sorry, uh, and improved self-esteem, and a trend towards uh, reduced perfectionism. And so, um, uh, yep, yeah, so by uh, July of 2017 is when we finally got that published. Uh, one of the... Um, uh, disadvantages of that study is that we did not have a control group. So um, thank you for calling it groundbreaking. I, I believe it is one of the first studies or, or first studies in uh, improv therapy with uh, data, with actual data. Um, but, um, but we still have a ways to go in terms of our research. Um, so I'm looking forward to that.
0: Okay, great. And of course, I assume everybody knows who you are. I didn't really talk about who are you and where you're from. And we're talking to you in Chicago today. And a little bit maybe about uh, how you got interested in improv from psychology or were you an improviser first?
1: Oh no! I was—I've uh, uh, always known that I wanted to go to uh, school to be a psychologist uh, since I was young, and uh, I only took my first improv class in 2006. Already finished up graduate school, but I was still writing my dissertation, I believe. Um, I was working as a research coordinator and a project coordinator, and um, I believe I was finishing up my dissert—my postdoc hours, I think. Um, anyway, and so. I took my improv class and I really fell in love. I saw all the things that uh, I felt different. Um, I felt like I had more confidence. I didn't have as much uh, social anxiety or um, fear of speaking in front of a group. Um, because during graduate school, I developed a um, just a fear of speaking in a group, and my face would get really red and I would get sweaty and I would just keep on talking to, like, sort of like. You know barrel through but it was really uncomfortable and other people could notice it and so after I took the improv class it really gave me some skills to just be more comfortable talking in a group Um, and so at the time I was working in a clinic and I thought oh let me try this out with the people in uh, one of the groups that I led and uh, from there I've always used it then in um, in my work in some way or other in some way or another
0: and then our mutual friend, the lovely David Carbonell, had a group, Therapy Players.
1: So Dave, so I didn't know Dave before Therapy Players. It was 2013, maybe, that he put an ad in a... Um, on a listserv. And so I'm like, Oh, this would be fun to perform with them. I had already taken a few improv classes. And so then I I joined the therapy players and that is just a totally separate gig where it's uh, made, the troupe is made up of all um, psychologists or social workers or therapists and we perform. And so there's, there's no, um, uh like clinical aspect or research aspect to that. It's it's sort of just like pure fun entertainment. Um but we all of our skits oh here's the train coming by so you know for sure I really am in Chicago. So we just gotta wait for that pink line to go by. <laughs> um so um so a lot of our themes are um have a psychology or therapy base to them and we're always developing new, um, new themes and new games for that.
0: For people who may not know David Carbonell, he is an expert in anxiety.
1: David Carbonell gives workshops and he has books and he has workbooks. Um, yeah, he's an international expert in anxiety therapy. And he's also the um, coordinator of uh, the therapy players.
0: Right. And I think he's been doing that for a very long time actually
1: anxiety work
0: the uh the therapy players
1: well he just well so when he and another group I believe that Cliff Saper another colleague friend uh therapy player when they were in graduate school um I want to say in the 80s they started their first improv troupe of uh psychology people and they called it the Freudian slippers (laughs) <laughs> and then I believe he did just like um, at the time he was living in Oak Park and he did like uh, drop-in improv groups at the library, I think, something like that. And then it wasn't until 2013 or 2012 that he started um, The Therapy Players. So, And Stephanie McCullough was originally um, our coach. And so um, so some of our early work was... Uh, guided by her as well
0: so and she's wonderful and she hosted the yes and mental health conference that we were both at a few years ago and yes she's wonderful person so, yes getting back to you again now you uh speak spanish and you've lived in south america before you've traveled a bit and lived other places
1: yes mm-hmm. yeah i lived in uh i lived in mexico after gra- after undergraduate and then i lived in brazil uh when i was in my 20s so
0: now you're settled in chicago yes mhm okay so i saw you've got a wonderful website we're going to put that up with the article but that you were running some kind of improv therapy groups uh last fall
1: yeah so since the um the article came out i uh i receive a lot of interest and in phone calls and Um, messages from people, um, asking questions. And so I have a lot of um, email discussions, um, Skype sessions with people all over the world about, you know, what they're doing and whether that's, you know, just looking for advice on how they could do it. And so, um, after that article, I actually left Cook County Hospital and um, haven't really had an opportunity to start up more groups in improv. And so um, so in a nutshell, what we created, a couple of uh, other people and I, was a monthly drop-in improv group that's for uh, practitioners and uh, uh Consumers, so consumers, I'm not sure if, if everybody understands that term. Consumers are people that um, use mental health services, right, and providers right. are people that provide them. And sometimes there's overlap between providers and consumers. Um, and and so, call them
0: patients, and then we call them clients, and now we call them consumers.
1: Yeah, you know, I think the term consumer comes from like the 80s. I don't, I remember using it when I was an undergrad. Um, I just don't know if they they use it that much anymore. But um, so um, so we had about, uh, we tried to do it on a monthly basis, but I think we ended up having about eight sessions last year in 2019. And uh, it went really well. We always got a very eclectic group of people. We learned lessons about how to, to really... Uh, fine-tune our skills. And so a group of us are gearing up for what we're going to do in 2020. And so we're still looking to find exactly the, what format we're going to use for that. And then we have a couple of other possible projects planned from that. But um, the idea of the monthly workshop was just because getting a group together, as you probably know, is really time consuming and it's hard to maintain. And um, so all of us work and have full-time jobs and doing other things. And so uh, the workshop was just a way to keep going because in order to do anything well, you have to keep on doing it, and so um, uh, so that was just a way to keep on going. And then, in particular, a lot of people approach me and you know would like to play a role in this somehow, and I would like to at some point have uh, the ability to uh, uh, um, involve other people in uh, running the workshops. Um, taking the workshops etc. so um so it's all a work in progress right now. Right. um but what we did last year was a monthly uh almost monthly uh workshop uh that was uh open to the public um for providers and consumers. Yeah.
0: And is there a fee for that? Was it a
1: we charged a, a nominal fee $25 for 2 hours and if people could not pay it then we didn't collect it from them. So
0: terrific terrific. Well I know that when I first started improv, I immediately saw the connection between improv and therapy. It was just like an immediate, aha. And I thought, wow. I have thought of something really unique. And I did just a wee bit of research and found you. So you've been mentoring me for several years now. And then I found (laughs) out uh, I wasn't so unique. (laughs) Other people were doing like Asiel Romanelli uh, in Israel and other folks around the and Dr. Uh, Wiener, Daniel Wiener. So, uh, but you've been a support to me and you're a tremendous support to people all over the world, having the time to return the emails, the phone calls is uh, you're just inspirational. And I just want to acknowledge that because I know oh. you, you've talked about helping me on a recent research project. And so I'm so grateful for your generosity. I really am. So let's talk about a little bit. Oh, well, well, thank I'm sorry.
1: Go ahead. I'm just gonna say Thank you. I, um, I really enjoy um, talking to all the different people. And I, I love hearing about what projects people have, uh, going on and um and it's just super interesting to me to talk to people from you have know, talked to people from india and france and um oh yeah we're going to be doing a uh, we're presenting this may with a, a group from uh france um and um Uh, around uh, Seattle, I believe. But uh, anyway, thank you for um, acknowledging that. And uh, it reminds me that we do have to set up another time to talk to talk about your research project.
0: (laughs) Thank you. Just going to get that in a little bit. And uh, so let's talk about some of the principles of improv and how they relate to uh, decreasing anxiety and decreasing symptoms of depression. And, And, um, one of the first ones, I think, is the idea of acceptance. Can you expand on that a little bit, please? Sure. I think um, I think that we
1: feel, in general, as humans, as we go through life, beginning in our school system, um, there are so many ways that we can feel rejected by not doing things correctly. And, um, and I think that our... Old, you know, when I was going to school, it's different than when, for example, my daughter is going to school now. There's much more awareness about um, how what pe- what adults do uh, and say to children, how that affects them, and um, how we can change that to get the most out of people. And so, I think that um, the idea that it, you create a safe place, and that safe place in improv comes from accepting ideas and uh, not. Um, Correcting and not berating people, and I think that that is just such a welcome change. It's just uh, that that is therapeutic in and of itself, because we're so used to um, hearing rejection from a sort of or, or just correction from a young age, which can be perceived by the brain as as some kind of rejection. Um, that uh, we incorporate that into our own voice, you know, our own messages to ourselves, and so improv can do a lot to free us
0: up from. Um,
1: fear in that way
0: and that follows up with the there are no mistakes there are no failures in improv i myself start every class by saying that and people still will apologize or i did it wrong and no matter how many times i say no mistakes everything's you know everything's okay that we're doing it's very hard for people to get out of that mindset
1: yeah well i feel like uh you know even as much as I feel like I 've learned in my life about not apologizing for myself or whatever, I still will find myself slipping or making that mistake um, and so I think that the whole idea of uh, how improv helps us it has a dose effect, and if we stop taking that dose it um, we aren't as, uh, we aren't as effective as if we are if we continue to be in um, in an improv setting where we remind ourselves that we don't have to beat ourselves up for every mistake. Um, so, yeah, here's, here's the train again.
0: Oh, okay, and I'm, I'm listening for the airplanes going over this as well. So, another concept is similar to acceptance, it's the yes and. Yes and idea.
1: Yes, and so um, just giving people a chance to um, again, I think it's uh, that they don 't feel rejected because we 're so used to um, preparing ourselves so before we say anything that um, we want to make sure that it 's exactly right and that uh, we say the right thing so that we aren 't uh, criticized by somebody else or we don 't offend somebody else in some way, um, and some of that is uh, is good practice, and we need to continue to do that but it 's also nice to practice this idea that actually I can say something and Try it out and just see how what happens when I put that idea out there. Uh, can somebody else hear that and add to it, and and can we make something together? So um, I think it's all part of the um, uh, the acceptance. Yeah, and so I, I I I believe I mentioned in my article, and I and I often um, reference the um, uh, Vermont. I believe his name is. Uh, uh, article where he said that uh, improv groups oftentimes or improv classes or therapy sessions oftentimes mimic or create the unconditional positive regard that Carl Rogers talked about years ago. And
0: so, um, yeah. So So, I think that that is. mm -hmm. Okay. I was going to say, and some of the other benefits are improved self-confidence. And I find especially sometimes with women more than men, even that idea of not being confident in oneself.
1: Oh, yes. I mean, we could, we could speak for a long time about all of the ways in which as women were socialized from a young age um, uh, to, um, to not trust ourselves uh, and all the different influences in that area. So, I think anytime we have uh, a group of people who um, have uh, more of a condition, so more of low self-esteem then when we give them an intervention, then we're going to see greater gains in that. Um, So yeah, it's a, it's, um, I think I only learned the term two years ago mansplain and, uh, that helped explain a lot of my anger throughout the years. I, um, and, uh, um, yeah and it, it still doesn't uh i still it still happens i'm still uh, i'm still exposed to that i just am aware of what's happening and so i don't get as angry i'm able to so uh yeah so i can uh to your point which was that perhaps improv uh, groups and sessions uh, create a greater effect for women in terms of improving self-esteem than men uh, but of course um uh uh the, there's just great variety uh, in variability in both uh, the group of women and group of men, and um,
0: uh,
1: and uh, across all people. So,
0: yeah. So, tell me a little bit about your drop-in workshops because you might have some people coming every month, but you might have new people coming in. Is that correct? Yep. Yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah. So, um, so the way we design the group is that it's, um, it's still appropriate for somebody who's just, who's never had any kind of improv experience at all. But then there might be some exercises where somebody can get into more depth in the group so that everybody's maintained some kind of interest in that. Um, and uh, and it's worked out just great, you know. Every improv group is going to be very different, right? Based on who comes and what the theme is, and just what the day is, or what's going on in the world, and so or what season it is in Chicago. And so um, so every group has been very different, even though we followed a pretty similar format for each. Um, for each session, and then since I've got several co-leaders that will show up, we all um, we all get to uh, pick what games we'd like to lead, and um, and and one of the things in our monthly group that's really important is it it's not. J- just this idea that we're going to plan an improv um session and give this to other people but it was about our figuring out what we want to do as a group and how we hone our skills and so um so that's a different idea than just setting up shop and deciding that you're going to provide a service which we may do down the line Um, there's a very good possibility that we will do that but anytime you do something like that you want to make sure that you've uh, tried it out and that you're um and that you've had some experience doing it in mm-hmm. in, in my opinion so uh, yeah. so that's also um served to that and um we've had people that just show up that day we've had people that sign up ahead of time um, and so it's been a pretty diverse group of people um and and very interesting so
0: yeah interesting. Can you share a a couple of the games you use, maybe some games you might use in the beginning of class, and then maybe one or two of the more complicated games? Because you have a two-hour session, correct?
1: Yeah, yeah. And so we actually use really simple games. Um, The difference is that, you know, so we might use something like Red Ball or Say Your Names or Pass the Clap. The difference about what we're doing is that we stop and reflect about what that is and we, people can share how they felt about that personally. So we might start out with those games initially. And then towards the end, we would do more, more complicated games, which I'll tell you about in a second. But what's interesting is that, you know, I've had the style of doing a TheraPrav for a while. And so Um, when Dave Carbonell came to who's a senior more senior than I am uh, more senior clinician than I am when he came to the first one that we ran together which we all planned together but it was the first one that he did with our group and um, afterwards he said wow it's it's amazing how much you can get from relatively simple exercises and so I think it, you know, I think there is magic just in improv and the principles of improv, but it also depends on whether you're um, a skilled clinician and and you can bring that out of people in the improv setting. So, um, and then towards the end, an example of a game that we might do. um, One of my favorites is Yay Boo. Um, The first time I ever did it was in San Antonio, Texas with their comedy sports group. And so, um, are you familiar with that one? No, yay! Like, boom.
0: we have a different so explain it to us.
1: Yeah. So two people sit next to each other. One person always has to have a negative twist on what they're talking about. The other person always has a positive twist. And then you've got all the, the rest of the people are sitting in the audience. And they're very active members. So uh, the example that I usually give is something like the yay person would say, Something like I just got a new job, and then everybody in the audience will say yay to reinforce it. So there's this really basic um, part of the exercise where reinforcement is built in. You're validated every single time you say something, no matter what you
0: say. Um, well, so, so, if I, so if I say I always get fired from jobs, the audience would go.
1: If you say that in your yay and your positive, oh, I always get fired from jobs.
0: Yay. Okay. Uh,
1: because the idea is that whatever you're saying, you're saying that as a positive thing. So, but we, 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 we start off a little bit more basic than that. So the example might be, I just got a new job. Yay, yay. that's the yay person. And the, the boo person might say, yeah, but now you have to go to work every day. And then everybody in the audience says, boo. And then the person, Uh, That's yay. Might say something like, "Yeah, but I get to wear a whole new wardrobe. Yay. Yeah, but now you're going to spend all your money on clothes. Boo." And so, the whole point of that exercise um, is that uh, I used to. There was okay. Uh, The whole point of that exercise is that um, people realize that there's a certain amount of choice that we have in how we respond to something and so it's an exercise that gets at managing your emotions so it's not to deny your true feelings when something happens so um let's say uh, you do lose your job so it's not that you we would prescribe that you should not feel anything about that no of course you're going to have a reaction and you have to talk about it but then you have a certain number of um, options after that of what you do with that and um and so that exercise is an example of that. There, there are a certain number of times uh, in our day, in our life, where we can make a choice of how we view something. It, it helps to expand one's perspective on things.
0: Right. Great, great. So, so um, I know you're working on a research project now. You're... My kind of town, Chicago, is... Oh, uh, you working? To... <laughs> um <laughs> So you're working on a new research project, aren't you?
1: Yes. Yeah, so I'm still trying to uh, get moving on writing up the, uh, the the research project that we conducted a couple years ago on um, administering the... Uh, a a half day of improv exercises to neuropsychologists and having them write. So we call that CognitProv. So I'm still trying to write that up because that was a very good, interesting experience. But my paid job that I work on is a. I work for Rush University Medical Center. And the project is funded by the Alzheimer's Association. And it is an interventional study for people 60 to 79 years old, uh, to change their lifestyles um, to address lifestyle factors um, that may reduce their risk of dementia in the future, so help it, basically it 's a, a brain healthy study. Um, so we're just, we're just getting, we just started to recruit people in the last month or so. Uh, so I'm really happy to be working on that project. It's uh, exactly what I would like to be doing right now.
0: So. Well, you, have, you've extent, you have extensive uh, experience with Alzheimer's and geriatrics as well as working with other populations, don't you?
1: Yeah. So I, that's the main population that I work with right now. I do evaluations for people uh, for older folks uh, in English and in Spanish. So that's, that's sort of like my, my main clinical gig. And then my main research gig right now is um, working on this project. And then on the side, I'm trying to see where I can develop uh, the research in using improv as a, a tool to improve mental health. So that's uh, that's
0: bit so- down the road. It's so important because of course, as a clinician, I'd like to see it as a recognized therapy, like art and music. We have a code, it's reimbursable and it's recognized because so many people have no idea what it actually means sometimes. uh, Using improv, improv.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. I I think that um, improv therapy it just only makes sense because it probably, is as, as soon as we can prove it, we will probably see that it's very effective. And the fact that you can influence uh, several people at the same time in a group is very cost effective. And so it's also really empowering for people to be in a group and see that they actually can be a part of the healing of, of individuals in group and not just one
0: clinician. So...
1: Um, yeah, I really hope that we're able to, um, make progress in that area. I really do.
0: It's, it's such exciting work. It really isn't for me, no matter how tired I am, because I have a practice as well as you, Uh, when I go to the class as an instructor, I just get so charged up. I mean, no matter, you know, Oh, I think I'd like to just go home and put my feet up and other, and I'm charged. I want to do more. So, uh, it's it's yes yeah it is such a blessing to have discovered this and again you have been I don't want to be too saccharine but you've been so important (laughs) that whole time you know just the fact that you know you've been doing this for a while and you're committed to it is just so fantastic and I think there's a bit of a controversy maybe over people who are doing improv with anxiety and maybe other disorders that aren't clinically trained and you know I have several colleagues that I think are fantastic and they've been through it and and they admit that they're not a therapist but I think it's it can be a slippery slope in other words do you have any thoughts on that um yeah so so first of all I want to just
1: respond to um uh that I've been an inspiration to you. So so thank you again. What I think I did for you and what in in a way you're saying and what I do for other people is I don't know that I'm always giving them earth-shattering tips on things, but I'm basically saying yes, you can do this and, and it can be done. And and then this leads into your sort of the second your question is that whoever I'm talking to, if they're a social worker or if they are a teacher or whatever their role is, that they have to just be conscientious of that they're practicing out of their role. So if as a teacher, you would teach a class and you would bring um, books to the class and or whatever it is that you're gonna do in that class, and that's part of your ethics and that's what that's part of your training and you're working within your area of competence, and then you add improv to that, then you can do that. And so when, uh, or if you're a social worker and you running a group and you want to bring improv to everything that falls within your area of competence, then you should do that. Um, If you're an improv teacher and you're teaching an improv class and you notice that people have improved mood and uh, are less anxious, then that's great. And you're working within your competence as an improv teacher and you don't try to become a therapist um, asking about things that aren't part of what you would ask about in an improv class. Well, then, then, then you're practicing outside of your area of competence. But I am a big believer, and I, I've had this conversation also with another colleague of mine who does uh, work in reducing stigma in mental health, um, that whatever makes people – if a yoga class makes people feel better or, you know, a music class, it's not run by a therapist, makes them feel better, then that's part of your mental health, and that's great. So um, I don't want to create silos around who can help people make uh, feel better, uh, but there are certainly um, – things that you would not ask about in a group unless you were a clinician. Um, you wouldn't want to ask about um, certain things that are outside of your area of competence. So um, so that's how I think about that. I don't yeah. know if that made sense or answered your question.
0: I, I totally agree with you. Now you've got a lot coming up and we're going to show your website and um, some of the other articles about you and by you. And I guess... Maybe a simple question for our closing question would be, how has improvisational theater changed your life? That I would say for
1: me, the single most important change is that I tend to be a ruminator. And so improv has given me the tools and the message that um, to move on from certain things more quickly. And that's been really helpful uh, to not stay there and beat yourself up about something that you didn't do. Um, but just to move forward and keep on doing it. And, and I use, so I think about that actively. Um, in terms of just feeling better after something doesn't work out in my life, the way I wanted it to. So. Exactly.
0: exactly. So thank you so much for your time. We'll do this another three years from now and see all the growth. <laughs> okay. And uh, you're just a marvelous person. And for people that are in the Chicago area, if you need a therapist, go see her and um, Kristen. And if you need an evaluation, which after the age of 60, most of us do need to get some kind of evaluation done, go see Dr. krueger and uh, also the therapy players, which is so much fun. So you're just delightful. And I want to thank you again for being our guest today. Oh, thank you, Margot. It's been a pleasure. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed the podcast and look forward to you joining us next time on Improv Interviews with Margot Escott.